Uh, if you have a Bible, which I hope that you do, uh, and if you don't, I'd be glad to give you one afterwards. Uh, I want you to turn actually to a different text than what Ozzy read for us. We're going to look at a text today, and we'll refer back to what he read. But I'll have you turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Uh, we're going to look at one verse primarily there this morning, Proverbs 27, 17. That's where we're going to uh, be most of our time together. So if you could find that, that would be helpful to you uh, to follow along and hear what the Lord may have to say uh, to you and to us today. Uh, but I don't know how many of you are TV watchers, uh, but there's a show that I was turned on to actually by a few friends recently, a show uh, that I, did, I surprisingly have liked because it's not at all what, uh, what I typically enjoy. It's a TV show called Alone. Uh, it's on the History Channel. There's some back seasons of it. Uh, and I am not an outdoorsman at all. I said last Sunday I don't know how to plant plants even, so I definitely don't know how to go out into nature and survive on my own. I can't even keep stuff alive at my own house, let alone going out into uh, the, the uh, nature and the wild. But what this show is, uh, the History Channel calls it the most intense survival show on television. And what they do each season, there's been several of them now, is they take 10 people who are pretty skilled, who have experience in these things, and they take them to some part of the world, and then they drop each of them off in different spots, separated by miles and miles, so they'll never actually see each other. Uh, but they're only allowed to take with them a maximum of 10 items. Okay, so this would be stuff like a tarp, a bow and arrow, a knife, things like that. Uh, they're only allowed to take 10 items, and they just see how long they can last. So they have to build their own shelter. They have to find their own food. They typically end up having to hunt and fish and uh, build fires and all these types of things, ward off predators that may be around. It is wild. It, it is nuts. I, over and over, just as we're watching, I would never do this. <laughs> like, Why do people do this and subject themselves to it? But what has been most surprising to me, but maybe shouldn't be, being that I know the scriptures, is the reason that most of them end up quitting, because they can always quit whenever they would like to. Most of them don't end up quitting because they get an injury although that does happen at times. Most of them don't quit because they're made to quit. They do have medical checkups that come, and sometimes they force people to leave because uh, they, their bodies are just eroding to such a level that they can't really survive any longer. But why a huge majority of them end up leaving and calling to come get picked up is the simple reality of loneliness. They, they have their shelters, they have their fires, they have their food supplies, they, they have everything they need, and in theory, they could just last and last and last and last. But over and over, what they say again is, I just can't do this anymore. I, I need to talk to people. They start remembering people at home, they start remembering their family, they start remembering their friends, and think, why am I doing this? The prize money is not worth it. But what they, that show is putting on full display is what God said at the very beginning of time, way back in the Garden of Eden, where he said, that it is not good that man should be alone, Genesis 2.18. It is not good that man should be alone. And, and we know as Christians, we know as people who read the Bible, that human beings weren't made for, I heard one author say, or read one author say this week, we weren't made for solitude, we were made for society. We were made to be around people, to spend time with people, to be shaped by people. And that's what we want to see this morning from this text and a few others that we will refer to is that, that we were made for society, we were made for community, and it would be wise for us to plant ourselves in community. If we want to grow as Christians, if we're going to be serious about pursuing Jesus, we must, I would say, even plant ourselves in community. So that last week, this week, and next week, we're thinking of what are the three core places we need to be planted as Christians if we're going to grow. Last week, we 
talked about worship, the worship gathering, and the importance of being Sunday by Sunday with our church family to worship. This Sunday, we're going to talk about this reality of community, having a smaller subset of Christians that I live with, that I know, that I care for, that I speak to often, that I pray with, that I watch, and that they watch me. And so my task this morning from this text is a very simple one. It's not rocket science. Uh, What I want to call us to and remind myself even of is this very simple uh, challenge, is to prioritize church community. Prioritize church community. And so I, w- I want to read this short text for you from Proverbs 27, 17. It's one that most of you are probably familiar with. Many people even in our culture are familiar with, but I think it would behoove us to really try to dive into it and hear what, what God would say to us through it today. But it's an age-old saying, Proverbs 27, 17, but it's inspired by the Spirit of God and still relevant and bearing upon us today. It just says this, iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. There's many texts that we could look to. I'll refer to a few others if you want to take notes as we go, that we could look to to teach us about community, the need for it, how to do it, why to do it. Um, But this is one I thought would be good for us to start at and base at, um, and to just remember in simple, poetic way the reality that we need other people to sharpen us, that we need to sharpen them, that these are essential parts of our life, that we need to prioritize church community. And so I want to tell you three reasons why you should prioritize church community. Uh, The the first one is going to be this one from this text. Uh, The first reason that you should prioritize church community is a very simple one, is that you need sharpening. You need sharpening. Whether you acknowledge that, whether you realize that or not, you need sharpening as a Christian. Uh, All of us need sharpening as a Christian. And I want to talk about this need that we have for sharpening, but first I want to say before we get too far into this about how to grow as a Christian, I want to say like what I did last Sunday, that, that you need to, before you seek to grow as a Christian, you need to become a Christian. Uh, It would be silly using this analogy uh, here of metalwork and iron sharpening iron. It would be silly for us to try to refine a piece of metal if it's not even the right shape, if it's not even remotely in the shape that it should be. Uh, We need to, before we're refined, before we have nuances worked out in our souls and lives, before we're refined, we we need to be regenerated. We need to be born again before we actually become more obedient to God, more godly in our lives. I would say this way, before we're sanctified, we need to be saved right? And the good news is that that you don't just have to do things and plant yourself in these certain places to become acceptable to God. God has done everything necessary for you to become acceptable to him, to, to receive his favor, to receive his forgiveness. And it's not at all because of you. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. Uh, using this analogy of metalwork, we are like twisted, cold pieces of metal because of our sin that have no resemblance really to what God wants us to be. And left to ourselves, we cannot fix ourselves. We can't bend ourselves the right way. We don't even have capacity to do that. We would be foolish to try to bend ourselves into a form that is acceptable to God. But God has dealt with our problems. God has dealt with our sin. God has dealt with the judgment that we should receive as these disobedient people to him. And he did it by the sending of his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world as a human being, and Jesus lived perfectly. He was in the form that he was intended to be. He was obedient to God. He was not bent by sin. He wasn't, had, didn't have a cold, metal heart like many of us do. He was obedient. But when he went to the cross, God laid upon him the judgment that should be coming towards us. 
God laid upon him his wrath and his anger for our sins. Our sins were counted to him, and God crushed him in our place. Talking about iron, he literally, as he went to the cross, had iron nails driven through his wrists and through his feet for our sake, so that we might be forgiven, that we might be uh, received by God, we might be reconciled to God. And he was laid in a grave, and then God miraculously raised him back up that Sunday morning long ago and gave him life that would never, ever, and never could be taken away from him. And he did a miracle in raising him back up, and he can do a miracle in you, something that you cannot do yourself. We are like the, this uh, this twisted ball of metal that it doesn't remotely uh, have any resemblance to how God made us, but we can't throw ourselves in the fire, right? A piece of iron can't just pick itself up, throw itself in the fire, and then hammer itself back out the way it should be. We would be fools if we think we can do that, that, that we can fix ourselves, that we can provide the necessary heat, that we can bend ourselves the right ways. God must melt your heart and form you into the person that he intended for you to be, and he can do it. He will do it. All he calls for you to do is to cry out to him for forgiveness. Cry out to him to, for him to receive you, to make you into the new person that he intends for you to be, and he will. And so I want to talk about how to grow today in Christian community, but if you are not a Christian yet, if you've not turned your life over to Christ yet, I would call you to do that first and foremost, to let him shape you into the person that you are intended to be. But to those of us who have done that, who, who we have received Christ, we've prayed to him, we've cried out to him maybe long ago, and he made us into these new creations, the reality is that for us, he did not make us perfect yet, right? He, as that divine blacksmith, if you want to think of him that way, when he made us and, and recreated us and melted the hardness of heart that was present in us, he purposefully, think about this, he purposefully left blemishes in you. He purposefully left weakness in you. He purposefully left vulnerability to sin in you. He didn't make you perfect. He didn't make you, uh, to use a theological term, impeccable yet, where you can't be tempted, where you can't sin. He left sin within you, and you still need refining. We still need sharpening, every single one of us, from the youngest believer to the oldest, from the most immature to the most mature, we all need sharpening. This text says that iron sharpens iron, so, man, so one man sharpens another. And we as Christians must be humble enough to acknowledge this, that none of us have arrived. None of us have been fashioned by God in such a way that all of our rough edges have been, uh, have been sanded off, that all of our, our uh, twists and turns have been hammered out. We all need work by God's Holy Spirit. But many of us, and I can find myself being this way sometimes, and maybe you find yourself this way today, many of us have become content with our current level of godliness. We, we might not be so arrogant to say that, but our lives show it. That we think, you know what, I've become pretty moral. Like, I'm a pretty upstanding person. I, I think, by and large, I do what God wants me to do. I think I've arrived at a good place of godliness. And we forget that we always need sharpening. Till the day Jesus returns or the day that you die, you will need sharpening. And we need to be wary when we start to lose our motivation to grow. It is a dangerous state to be in when we think that, you know what, I've reached a sufficient level of godliness. I don't need to keep growing. Proverbs 16, if you go back several chapters, 16, 18 said that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
If we think that we are in no need of sharpening, no need of godliness, we are in a place of danger. We need to be aware and be uh, attentive to our own need for sharpening, and you're always going to need it. It's not just, I could say that to you today that you need sharpening. I could say that to you tomorrow. I could say that to you next Sunday. I could say that to you next year. I could say that to you on the day that you're about to die. We always are going to need sharpening. Even the sharpest metals, using this analogy from Proverbs 27, 17, Even the sharpest of metals slowly become dull when they're used. The the, the sharpest of metals becomes dull. I was thinking about it. It's back to school week for most students this week. Uh, Many of you remember how we would have pencils back in the day uh, and old paper and and actual writing uh, back in the day. And do you remember how frustrating sometimes it would be how quick certain pencils would just get dull and you have to go sharpen that thing again? You have to go sharpen that thing again. We're all familiar with that concept, and it makes sense to us that, yeah, pencils, wood, graphite, that sort of stuff, it needs sharpening over and over. But even the hardest of metals need sharpening. Even the most godly of Christians need sharpening. Uh, We must remember this simple fact that we need sharpening because if we don't, we're not going to be motivated to pursue it. We're not going to be motivated to find it from others, or we're not going to be motivated to provide that sharpening to others. And what we see in this text today is that that sharpening comes from fellow human beings. That sharpening can come and does come from God's direct intervention with us, his direct engagement with us as we read his word privately, as we pray for him. But this text and many others throughout the scripture are telling us this, is that this would be my second reason that you need to be prioritizing Christian community is that you need other Christians to sharpen you. Not just you need sharpening, but you need more specifically, you need other Christians to sharpen you. This text says, it's very obvious, but let's not miss it, it says one man sharpens another. That's one human being, it's not necessarily gender specific, one human being sharpening another fellow human being. And that this, is, this is how God has made us, right? He has made us from the very beginning in such a way that we need other people. We need other people to help us, to guard us, to protect us. We need other people. So it's not a surprise here. I've never had to do this before, by the way, to have an actual like, rag. So forgive me while I wipe the sweat off my face. Uh, but we need uh, other people, and we always have needed other people. Uh, humans sharpen humans. But what I want you to note in this text is that this can happen for good or for ill. We are sharpened by other human beings. That, that is an unavoidable reality of your life, is that you as a human being are sharpened by fellow human beings. Most of us, when we read this text, we probably always heard it as a positive, right? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There is actually also a, a dark flip side to this that I don't know if you've ever thought about before, that, that we can also be sharpened towards evil ends. And we are sometimes sharpened towards evil ends. Proverbs 13, 20, probably my most repeated text when I would more directly oversee youth ministry. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's reality for us as human beings. We become like the people we spend time with. We are sharpened by them one way or the other. This phrase originally, some of your translations maybe even say it this way. It says, sometimes so one man sharpens the countenance of another or the face of another. That is not always a positive thing. If you think of somebody with sharp eyes or a sharp tongue, there's like a pointedness sometimes to them about how they engage with people that is not healthy and that is not godly. And human beings, one way or the other, are going to sharpen you. 
And so if you're going to be sharpened the right ways, if you're going to be sharpened towards the right ends, you need to be sharpened by fellow Christians, people who are sharpening you towards the right ends. And so I wanted to share a couple of the things that need to be true about our Christian community, the, the circles that we run in, the places that we plant ourselves for Christian community. I wanted you to note a couple of things that need to be true about that community if you're going to be sharpened the right way, if you're going to be sharpened towards godliness. The first and maybe the most obvious one about Christian community, and if it's going to be done properly, is that you need to have proximity to people. You actually need to be close to the people, right? It says... Iron sharpens iron. The analogy there is actually iron touching iron. That's very obvious, I know, but it's important for us to remember that iron that never are around one another, that never are even close to one another, never sniff of one another, they're not sharpening each other. If we are going to actually sharpen each other, we need to be personally present in people's lives. We need to actually see them. We need to actually hear them. We need to actually talk with them. We actually need to be around them. We are most impacted, typically as human beings, we are more impacted by individuals than we are by crowds. You can be in crowds by tons of godly great people and never really truly be deeply impacted like you can with personal conversation from someone who knows you and lives with you and sees you and talks with you and knows your struggles. So we need to actually be in proximity to the people we're in community with, not just some hypothetical, metaphysical thing, but actually in proximity to them. But the second thing is that we need to have vulnerability in our Christian community. We need to be vulnerable. People need to, to know who you are to be able to sharpen you. They need to know you to be able to sharpen you. And this is, this is so important for us because we sometimes like to come to Christian community, whether it's a life group, a small group, a Sunday school class, whatever it is, we like to come to Christian community and kind of stay at a distance and not really let people see the ugly sides of me, not let people see what my struggles are, not acknowledge those things to them. I want them to think that I have it all together. But we need to be willing to confess our sins to one another. We need to be willing to, to pray for one another as they do. We need to have a sense of vulnerability to actually acknowledge, you know what, I need sharpening. And I know you need sharpening. So let's, let's not dance around this and pretend like we don't and that we're all smooth and have everything worked out. We don't. Like you have to acknowledge that you need correction, you need sharpening if you're going to actually receive it. And sometimes when we're vulnerable, somebody may need to speak difficult things to us. Somebody may need to challenge us at times. That's why earlier in this very chapter, if you look up at verse 6, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, one of the sayings that was passed down in this book was that first line, faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's, there's sometimes people need to say hard things to us, but they can only know what hard things to say to us if they actually know our struggles, if, if we're actually open about those things and let people see our blemishes, let people see the weak spots in us, let people see and know our vulnerabilities. And we as Christians above all people should be willing to say those things, should be willing to acknowledge our limitations, should be willing to acknowledge our sins even before our fellow Christians because we know the person whose opinion matters most already permanently loves us and receives us. And so I can risk it with my fellow Christians. I can tell them the things that are true about me that are ugly and that need sharpening. I can tell them those things because I know I'm securely loved by the one whose opinion matters most. And although I trust my fellow Christians, even if they, they roll their eyes at me or even if they walk away from me, God the Father will never walk away from you. 
And knowing that what Jesus has gained you should give you a willingness to be vulnerable and should make our communities be okay with being marked by vulnerability. And the third thing, there's proximity, vulnerability. And the third thing I would say that, that, that we need to have present in our communities is intentionality. You need, as a Christian, I need as a Christian to be sharpened towards a particular shape. Not just to be sharpened for the sake of being sharpened, right? Uh, A blacksmith doesn't just put a piece of iron on the anvil and just start going to town on the thing, like into whatever he or she sees fit, right? There's a a end goal. There's an end aim. There's a a way it's supposed to look uh, in that hammering process. As that metal was heated up, there's there's an end goal. You are sharpened into something. So the question is, what is our blacksmith wanting to sharpen us into? What's he wanting us to look like? And the answer is that he's wanting us to look like his son, Jesus Christ. So when we come together as Christians, we're not just supposed to have fellowship together for the sake of being around each other and just have fun together and just enjoy each other's company. Those are wonderful things. But we're to have an actual aim in our Christian community of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. In the text that Ozzy read for us, we read in verse 43 of Acts 2, that in that early church, Awe came upon every soul. You know what? I don't think awe came upon every soul because they were having a cookout at Peter's house or because they were having a a bonfire in the backyard at Nicodemus' house. Like they were around each other. They had meals together, but they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers. Christians need to be marked by a sharpening in a particular way and towards a particular end. I was talking to Matt Alexander, who's part of our church. He uh, knows far more and teaches even about metalwork at the high school. And he was telling me uh, to not forget with this analogy in Proverbs 27 about the importance of the anvil, the piece of metal, the large, solid, unmoving piece of metal that iron is pressed against. That iron is used to press other iron against. And what he was saying is that in this analogy in Proverbs 27, 17, that that anvil, it could be thought of as the, the truth of Scripture. That it's unmoving, that it's unchanging. And what we do as Christians is we press each other against that. We, we press others against it so that we become more and more like what it calls us to be. We, we don't just shape each other however we see fit. and We shape each other to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And I would say this, if our Christian community, if in our Christian community, if Christ isn't central, then our community is counterproductive even, I would say. If all we're doing is just hanging out as the world hangs out and just telling jokes and enjoying stories and watching movies and having food together, those are wonderful things. But if that's all we are doing, and we're never actually sharpening each other to become more and more like Jesus, we are wasting our time. Like, we need to have that element present in our community if we're going to actually be sharpened. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of dull swords and dull axes just hanging around each other, never actually becoming sharp to be used by our blacksmith, to be used by our creator. We need to be intentional about pressing each other towards godliness and Christ-likeness. And so you need other Christians to sharpen you. But the third reason I would say that you need to prioritize Christian community is the flip side of this, is that you need to provide sharpening for other Christians. Not just that you need to receive sharpening. You do need sharpened. You do need other Christians to sharpen you. But other Christians need you to sharpen them. 
That's the reality here is iron sharpens iron, right? And that, that sometimes one is sharpening the other more directly, sometimes the other is sharpening the other. And this is the same thing that's true in our Christian lives. There needs to be in our Christian community a sense of what I would call reciprocity, that, that we're both doing this together, that all of us as a group are doing this together. It's not just one person who's always helping the others and everybody just listens in. It's we're helping one another. We're pressing each other against that anvil of truth. We are, are doing the, the, the addressing of sin, the encouragement uh, that happens as fellow Christians. And so if you're going to do this well, I wanted to commend a couple of things to you. If you're going to take seriously your responsibility to sharpen others, which if things blow over again, by the way, I'll just roll with it. It's getting a little windy again. There you go, on cue. All right. Um, but uh, we, you need to provide sharpening. And I want to share a couple of things for you to remember in your context of Christian community to make sure that you, as you're the iron sharpening other iron, that you're doing it well, that, that you are caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ. The first one would be this, is that in your context of Christian community, if you're going to actually sharpen other pieces of iron, if you're going to sharpen other Christians, is that you need to actually pay attention to them. You actually need to know what is going on in their life. Not just to be around them, not just to rub shoulders with them, not just to be in the same room with them or in the same conversation. You need to actually pay attention to them. Because every Christian, in a crowd like this, but in a crowd of two, every Christian has unique struggles and unique strengths. They have unique virtues, they have unique vices. And we need, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be observant to one another. To actually pay attention, what is this brother or sister going through? What are they dealing with? What challenges are they facing? What temptations are they seeking to overcome? What lies are they, are they being tempted to believe? And we need to be observant to those so we know how to address them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, uh, in that text, the Apostle Paul wrote this. And I want you to hear how he, he clarifies that there are different Christians struggling with different things. And there's different ways to address those people. He said this, he said, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so he knew that in Christian community, there's people at different seasons who are struggling in different ways, who have gotten dulled in certain ways, and we need to see how they've been dulled so we can actually sharpen them in the appropriate manners. That if they're discouraged, we can point them to text. We can remind them of things that ought to bring them encouragement. If they're being lazy, that we can press them towards text or even show them, press them towards examples of what godly work looks like. If they're being aggressive, we can call them to text that press them towards gentleness. That we need to see how they're becoming dull so we can sharpen them appropriately. When we come into Christian community, we don't just come in to whatever meeting we're part of ready with a piece of advice to share and just find a target to give it to. Like we try to be attentive to what's going on with them so we actually can have a fitting word to say, that we can actually sharpen them in ways that are truly helpful for them. So we need to pay attention in Christian community to what's actually going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters. But the second thing I would say is that we need to, keeping with this analogy of Proverbs 27, we need to actually pray for heat. Pray for heat in the person's life. When metal needs to be sharpened, when metal needs to be bent, when metal needs to be refined, there is, I don't know the first thing about metalworking, okay, but I know this, that there needs to be a certain element of heat in order for that to actually happen. 
That if you just start banging on a cold piece of metal, you are not going to get anywhere. And if you put enough strain on it, you're actually going to break it. That if we're going to actually be changed as human beings, just like metal, there needs to be a sense of heat that's applied in our hearts and in our lives where we actually are able then to be changed by God. We're actually able to be bent or, or, or uh, made into the form that we need to be, to have, have the, the rough edges shaved off of us or hammered off of us. But friends, only God is capable of providing that heat in the heart of a person. You can't manufacture it. Like you can't make somebody be ready to change. You can't make somebody be ready to receive a certain word. You can't make somebody be ready to hear a challenge, but God can. Like He can light that fire or intensify the, the fire in that person's heart and soul to make them ready to hear what the community needs to say to them. And we need to be praying for each other regularly that God would be keeping our hearts warm, that he would keep the fire of our hearts alive so that we can be ready to receive words of challenge, words of correction, words of exhortation. There is heat that it should just always be present in our lives, the, the regular fire, the regular heat that's there by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But we also, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to be attentive to the times where God just ramps up that fire intensely in a person's life, where there's suffering that comes to them, there's, there's struggle, there's trial that is intensifying in their lives. It is in those moments when God provides the heat in a person's life of suffering and sorrow that we as their community must be ready to help them must be ready to help shape them or bend them in the ways that God may want them to be bent and shaped. Be willing and able and attentive to help them be refined. We need to be attentive in the day today, praying for the heat of God to move in the, the human heart, but also in those moments where it intensifies, we need to be ready to help. The third thing I would say, not just to pay attention, not just to pray for heat, the last one would be this, is to actually apply pressure. Okay, If metal is just heated up, and then just set on an anvil, nothing happens to it. It just slowly becomes cold again and just goes right back to the form that it was in. But iron sharpens iron. When, when it's heated and there's actually pressure applied to it, that's when change happens. It's when there's an actual touch that's purposeful that change actually comes. And we are not, as Christians, to be aggressive in Christian community and come guns blazing at people, ready to just change them and come ready to just slam things down on the anvil and, and just slam them in, into submission and into change. We are to be gentle when we come in Christian community with words of encouragement and challenge, but we are to provide them. We're not just to be passive in Christian community and hear people struggling with sin and say, I'm sorry for you. I'll pray for you. You better pray for them. But God also uses you and wants to use you to actually apply pressure to this person. Loving pressure, pressing them towards the truth of Scripture. He, he wants you to do that. He requires us to do that for each other, to not just watch people get put in the fire and then just watch them cool back off but to lovingly, gently see what the need is, see where the weak spot is, and to apply pressure of the word. To apply the pressure of exhortation. To apply the pressure sometimes even of just showing compassion to them. Sometimes that's what God uses in the life of a person. They see your care. They see your compassion. Press them in that way. 
But we need to be active in our Christian communities, actually applying pressure in skilled ways. Matt Alexander, who I was referencing earlier about metalwork, he, I love this, and I, I would quote him, but uh, I didn't ask him if I could. But he, he talked about how in metalwork that the real skill is not in brute force of just slamming pieces of metal around on the anvil, but the real skill, he said, comes in careful, skilled taps. And that's more often what God is going to use you for in the life of fellow Christians is, is seeing a brother or sister who is in need, who's struggling, who's weak, who's vulnerable, uh, who, who is in a place of sorrow or in a place of rebellion. And he wants you to come in and see their need then to lovingly tap on them, lovingly press them towards the truth of Scripture, lovingly press them towards repentance, lovingly pressing them towards hopefulness, if that's what they need. But he does want you to apply pressure and to do so in love, to do so in kindness and, and wishing and hoping the best for that brother or sister in Christ. What a joy it is to be used by the divine blacksmith to sharpen each other, to sharpen another believer. I want to end by calling us, uh, calling you to be part of something that our church uh, offers, something that we call life groups. A lot of you are in life groups. A lot of you have joined one long ago or you've joined one recently, but there's countless ways that we could find Christian community, that places we could be sharpened, that we could sharpen others, but the primary way that we seek to do that as a church is through life groups. These are groups of maybe 8 to 12, sometimes more than that, uh, believers who get together, often week by week, sometimes every other week, um, but they seek to, to go to each other's homes typically, to, to fellowship together, to read the scriptures together, pray together, uh, help one another, be assistance to one another. Uh, that is important for you to have in some capacity, and life groups are the easiest, most straightforward way in our church to do that. Uh, we saw in that text that Ozzy read that those early Christians, they gathered together in the temple all collectively but then they gathered in house, from house to house as well. There were smaller subsets who they'd spend time with and learn with and pray with and eat with, and we seek to do that as a church family as well because if we're going to sharpen each other, we actually need to have a known group of people we're actually trying to do that with. Some of you, I would encourage you, if you're not yet, I would encourage you to consider joining a life group. I know that can feel strange. It can be hard to meet new people. But I would encourage you, even today, Pastor Rod is going to be at the table back here that I mentioned earlier at our Welcome Center, that if you would even be interested in potentially joining a life group or learning more what it's about, he has a little form that you could fill out, and we'd love to follow up with you to talk with you more about what those groups are like and even maybe some that you could connect with. Whether you're a college student, we love having college students in life groups, or whether you have been a believer for decades and you just have no real Christians who know you and who you know and who you're sharpening and being sharpened by, we would encourage you to be part of a life group. And some of us, though, I think if we're part of a life group, what I would want you to remember today is to reprioritize your involvement with those brothers and sisters. We've been through a weird season of worship gatherings. We've been in a weird season of community and life groups. But I would encourage you, if you've gotten disengaged or you've gotten demotivated uh, from being around fellow believers, I would call you today to reprioritize it to see your need of sharpening, to see other people's need of you to sharpen them. And I would encourage you to reprioritize that. Maybe even take time as a group to think about ways you've become more dull as individual group members in recent weeks, and then lovingly pray how you can help sharpen one another. 
Well, this metaphor, this iron sharpening iron, is just one of Christian community. There's a lot of other ones uh, that we are called as, as believers. We're called siblings within a family. We're called members of a household. We're called stones of a building, which we're going to sing about here in a moment. We're called parts of a body. We're called fellow citizens of a kingdom. We're called fellow sojourners on a path towards heaven. I want us to remember today that Jesus hasn't just reconciled us to God. That's the most glorious truth of the gospel. But he's reconciled us together to God. Not just to relate to him as individual Christians, but to relate to him as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so may we never take for granted this privilege of being part of Christian community. Uh, and may we never be so focused on our fellow pieces of iron with all their glories and all their blemishes that we forget the glories. Think about this, that we forget the glories of being held and being used by the divine blacksmith. That he is using you, Jesus. The Lord of the universe is using you to sharpen other people. And he's using them to sharpen you. May we have that perspective and may that alone motivate us to prioritize Christian community. Amen. I'm going to pray for us.